This episode is brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the money ball approach to the sport of collegiate wrestling. They track and time every activity throughout a wrestling match and upload over 550 match stats to the Quant app to do things like predict match outcomes. I love this feature. You can use it in the Quant app, available now in the Google and Apple Play stores. That's Q-U-A-N-T. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free. Now let's get to the episode. I hate to admit this, but you know, when my kids came into the program, uh, one day my wife stopped me at the end of practice and said, you know, you're treating uh, everybody else's kids better than you're treating your own. And that was, uh, that was probably the biggest wake-up call that I ever had. And it kind of changed my philosophy. And I started looking at wrestling and the programs differently. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is yours truly, Ryan Warner. We're in the midst of a blizzard here right now in Chicago, IL. Hope you're staying warm. Our guest today is none other than Steve Sanderson, the father of Kale, Cody, Kyler, and Cole Sanderson, one of the most successful wrestling families in the history of wrestling families. Steve wrestled at BYU back in his heyday and then created a dynasty at Wasatch High School in Heber City, Utah, coaching five teams to a top 10 national ranking. In total, he's coached or helped with 10 team titles and coached well over 100 individual state champions. Unbelievable resume and unbelievable wealth of wrestling knowledge. Can't wait for you to hear this episode. Fan of the week goes to my brother, Justin Thompson. So good to see you at the happy hour last week. Justin is a wrestling coach for Sergeant Bluff Lutton and also a firefighter. This episode is presented by Quant Wrestling. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free. Download the Quant Wrestling app now on the Apple and Google Play stores. All right, folks, let's give it up for Steve Sanderson. Steve Sanderson, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I'm excited about this. I thought we could start with a quote I found when I was researching that you used to tell the kids when you got to the tournaments, we're not here to win. We're here to fight. You know, I I think back over all the years that we did this and 
uh, all of the kids that I had through my high school and recreation freestyle programs, you know, and then you get to finally get a chance to work with your own kids. And, you know, those are the things that are most important when we go to a tournament, we're going to fight, you know, you can't always control all of the other things. You can't control referee calls. You can't, you know, a lot of times, especially with youth kids, you, you don't determine their, their, uh, physical maturity and all of the things that come into the match that you have no control over. So if you go fight, then we'll be okay. We'll get out of this, what we come to get. And when did you pick that up during your coaching tenure? Oh, it was after my own kids uh, got in, you know, you, they would have been young, probably uh, just pre-junior high. Is kind of one we changed. I know that uh, I hate to admit this, but you know, when my kids came into the program, uh, one day my wife stopped me at the end of practice and said, "You know, you're treating uh, everybody else's kids better than you're treating your own." And that was uh, that was probably the biggest wake up call that I ever had, and it kind of changed my philosophy. And I started looking at wrestling and the programs differently and decided maybe that I needed to learn to treat the kids all like I should be treating my own kids. And after that, uh, everything took off and everything relaxed and uh, we had fun with it. And, you know, the programs grew and the, the kids accomplished more and more. And it was a good experience. And you took over the, is it Wasatch? Uh, yes, I took over the program there in 1985, I think, the school year, 1985. And so I had read that, you know, during the mid-90s, when all the boys were in high school together, wrestling was so popular that you could, you know, quote-unquote, walk down Main Street and see kids wearing wrestling shirts, and that you guys would have 300 kids coming to like, youth practices on Saturdays? Uh, no, we set it up, uh, called it Little Wasp Wrestling. And I set it up so that the, uh, the high school kids got a chance to coach one hour a week after practice. They would, and we split all the kids up and had teams and they would come in on Saturday morning and wrestle the dual meet. And it became popular enough that, you know, we'd have, we'd have three or 4,000 people in the gym there to watch, you know, kids, grandkids and, you know, we end up 300 kids, 350 kids in the program. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It grew. But the biggest thing for me is that the community learned what wrestling was. And it wasn't a, a high, a highly competitive program. It was kind of like a, uh, well, I know Kale runs some kind of similar program, but at Penn State, they call it Sucker Saturday. Uh, <laughs> We didn't ever call it that, but you know, uh, the kids would come out and we'd line them up and they'd wrestle matches and every kid would come off with his hand raised and a sucker in his hand. And so there weren't winners there, or there weren't, there weren't losers. There were only winners. And so that, that grew into a gigantic program and changed the community into a wrestling community. Holy smokes. I did not realize all of the details behind it. So you're saying you would have a high school practice on Saturdays. And then after that, you'd have your high schoolers coach in this, this kind well, of a rec league. 
actually it was it was a, a community rec league but i just would have the kids uh they'd divide up the kids into into eight teams ten teams and the little kids would come in and practice once a week mm. for an hour after school in the wrestling room with a, a set of high school wrestler coaches and then on saturday morning uh, there were a lot of times we practiced that in the morning before, but, you know, we'd usually just run in and get the mats set up and then everybody would show up and we would wrestle through every kid would end up with a match and we'd be out of there in, in less than an hour. So wow. it, be, it became uh, highly organized, <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of fun. I love that it's such a low bar to entry, right? The parents don't have to spend all day in a gym at a tournament and you know, you, you're going to get, you know, someone who's not a, not a killer, so to speak. Right. And you can just kind of get your, get your toe in the water and get experience with the sport. That's how we advertised it. It's just, it's a program where we're uh, going to teach your kids how to play in a, in a padded room. And if they learn any wrestling beyond that, then that's okay. But we just want to, make you comfortable there now the uh something you said caught my ear you said that both wrestlers would get their hand raised now this is a a hotly contested topic this this day and age you know participation trophies and so on and so forth but obviously it's about the effort more so than the results but was that something you wrestled with internally you know giving out you know double hand raises uh no because most of the little league programs that I had witnessed were set up where they were just, uh, they were killer programs. You know, the, the little tiny kid would be out there and a dad would be screaming at him or his coach would be screaming at him and he'd be crying. And, uh, you know, they made a big deal. They put him on their shoulder and walk around the gym after the match is over. You know, you, if you've been to a wrestling match, you've seen that kind of crap, but I was trying to build a program. And I wanted the kids to have fun. And I wanted their parents to have well, parents and grandparents. I wanted the whole family to have a good experience so that they'd come back again. And so the kids would end up, you know, being in it four or five years in a row before we would uh, move them to the next step in the middle school. That's why everybody had a set of T-shirts. And you could always see when, when you went up the the street, but, you know, we took, we, we used that as a feeder program with our freestyle club too. We would take the kids that showed it aptitude or, or had some, some experience and some success. And we would take them from the little wasp program and put them in our freestyle club. And then they would, they would compete the rest of the year. Our uh, little wasp program uh, went through, Oh, a couple of weeks in October and then the month of November. And then we finished it up about the second week in December. And then they would be finished for the year. And we'd invite the kids that that wanted to, to move on into freestyle. And then we would start. Uh, it was a little different kind of competition mm -hmm. uh, going into the state freestyle program. But, you know, we had big numbers and it was a lot of fun. You know, just a little school. We were. I think uh, at the time I got here, we were just a two A school, and having 350 kids in a recreation program, and our our freestyle club grew to about 125 kids. Wow! Uh, in junior high, we had 90 kids. 
you know, it would, of course, always goes down when you get to the high school numbers, but that was how we kind of identified and, and brought those kids in and had a lot of fun with them. It sounds like fun. I mean, all the, the, the families and the kids you must have impacted over the years is just crazy to think about. When you look at building a program, you, know, you were involved from, as you mentioned, the youth level to the freestyle, the junior high, high school, you kind of oversaw all of it. You know, what, what were some other keys or, or some things that you did that you definitely recommend to other coaches now building a program? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is you just have to get in and do it. You know, the first few years that I was here, uh, after we got everything rolling, I had a hard time with getting a junior high coach. And it took me four or five years before one of the kids that had wrestled through our program came back as a teacher. And we stuck him in as a uh, junior high coach. And then we had some stability and that's kind of when we took off. Uh, but the thing that I would tell the young coaches is, don't, you know, if you want to get it done, you have, sometimes you just have to do it yourself and, <laughs> and you do it yourself until, until you have it to the point where you can, or you, you can bring people in that you trust to run it the way you want it run. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, it, it took a long time to do that. I, I remember I had kids that would have had three or 400 matches in freestyle and then they'd get to the junior high and the junior high coach would run them off. And what? that used, yeah, well, that used to make me crazy. And, you know, they're by that point in time, they're like your own kids. And so whenever you lost somebody, it was a very uh, personal thing. You know, so you feel like you're, you, well, they're one of your own kids. And uh, somebody else is not taking them the direction you want to go. And so I ended up, the first few years I was here at Wasatch, I was running the uh, high school program and then the junior high program. And then had the little kids coming in after that. So, you know, it was pretty <laughs> funny. My uh, kids, when they were little, you know, when they drive by the high school, they'd tell their buddies, that's where my dad lives. <laughs> so, you know, you just have to spend the time to, to get it exactly the way you want it. Because there, there should be a plan, you know, you just, uh, you can't wing it and uh, make it develop into what you want. You have to mold it into what you want, then you can share it with people and let them begin helping you. And the, the guy, well, there were actually two guys that came back that had been wrestlers for me that ran the junior high program. You know, I was feeding them some great kids from underneath, but they did an excellent job. And I think the, the one year I remember best, uh, we used to have just one junior high state tournament. They've split it all up into I don't know, there's 14 classifications for state champions <laughs> now, but it was just one state tournament and we had 17. We had 17 out of the 25 weights. We won that state tournament. So wow. those were those were good days. <laughs> That's uh it's pretty amazing to think about, you know, just the number of practices you've been to or the number of tournaments you've been to over the years. But you said, you know, you had to have a plan and I one of the things I wanted to ask you coming into this was, you know, when you first started the program at Wasatch, what was like your, 
your purpose or your motivation to do all of this? Well, uh, went into coaching and I decided that if I was going to do it, I needed to do it right. And I needed to give the kids the opportunity to be as good as they wanted to be. And so you just kind of start trying to figure that out and help them build on their dreams, I guess. And you just, you just, one of these guys that goes all in on something, I mean, to, to run three to four programs at a time and to, you know, put those kind of mat, you know, go to that many tournaments for kids to have hundreds of matches. That's just a, a tremendous time commitment. Did you ever think to yourself, this is uh, this is taking over or you, do you love it the whole time? Oh, uh, there were times when I felt the same way, you know, and there were times when my wife uh, reminded me that, that I had a family at home. And I, I think that's the reason that uh, once my own kids got involved, it was a lot easier to do that. And, you know, my wife even started coming then because, you know, you kind of watch your family slipping away. They take off every Saturday and, and go to a wrestling tournament. And I don't know if you've talked to Kyler about my wife, his mother, uh, she was a little wrestling crazy at the end. So <laughs> she, she got into it too. I had read that it was a kind of a rite of passage for the boys to be able to take down their mom. Uh, that was a progression step. Yeah. I don't have anything to do with that. I didn't, uh, <laughs> sick, I didn't sick their mother on them, but, uh, yeah, that was fun. She was always so good about it. Cause she had, you know, she had wrestle around with them a little bit, smack them upside the head as she was doing it. Just, it was a lot of fun. And you had been with her since high school and you know, you were a big wrestler yourself in high school. You were part of a couple state championship teams and then wrestled at BYU. Tell me about the NCAA circuit back in your, your era compared to what it is now. Well, I think it was a lot bigger, you know, it was back before, uh, well, it was just as title nine struck and so the NCAA itself was a lot bigger. They only went to six uh, All-American spots, you know, and wow. I think that when I first got there or when I first started looking at it, you know, it's like uh, I watched Dan Gable wrestle in the 69 Olymp or 69 uh, championships at BYU uh, and knowing that he only got to wrestle in the, the NCAA three times because they wouldn't allow the freshmen in the, you know, the first year. So, you know, just things like that. Uh, I think that he got tossed by a guy from the university of Utah and uh, <laughs> it's lucky to get off his back. The guy was a thrower and he walked right into him, got tossed, but he ended up winning the match and, and uh, finished it off in style. But that's about all I just I, I knew the other guy, so it was interesting watching it. Something that sticks out in your mind. And and obviously you took that and, and you became a coach. Um, you know, Cody being the oldest was was one of the, the trailblazers for you. Tell us about about his high school career and his development, because his senior year is one of the you know, one of the tops in terms of accomplishments out there. Uh, Cody was always a technician. He did everything perfectly. And I, I think that that shows in his coaching uh, philosophy. He's the, I'm sure that he's the detail man in that program. And he takes 
he takes care of the business part of it and make sure everything's running and make sure everything, everybody has what they need. Uh, and he was kind of like that going through. Uh, he was just a joy to work with. You know, he always worked his butt off and he, he always worked hard on technique. Uh, I remember when he was in junior high, there were a couple of kids he had a hard time beating. You know, he kept saying, Dad, when am I going to be able to beat these guys? And it's like, you know, by the time you get to the end of junior high, we'll be beating them. And so, you know, we, we didn't ever move kids along too quickly and, you know, just show them a bunch of crap. We build on everything a step at a time. And by the time he got to the end of junior high, he was pretty stinking tough. In fact, he, uh, he was a runner up in the cadet, uh, the cadet nationals. Wow. That, uh, Fargo I can't even think of the year. It was actually in, uh, Warrensburg, Missouri. Uh, but then he came back and then he was just really small. He won the, he, uh, took second in that tournament he placed in both styles and then he uh when he got back and he was a freshman he was he was about 96 pounds wrestling 102 103 and uh he lost four or five times during the year but the state tournament he uh he ended up winning the state tournament which was really good for me you know just kind of he was Almost uh, there were there was a year before the the kind of the leading edge of the freestyle kids coming through that that uh, hadn't had those kind of experiences before, and so he was kind of the edge front edge of that on the on the front edge of that, and uh, he ended up winning it. He Grammy rolled the kid with uh, five to ten seconds left on the clock and ended up beating him three to two, something like that, and so. It was funny. He was so small. Uh, the kid, they weighed, uh, they got on the scale after the matches. And he, uh, by the time that they got to that match, Cody still weighed 100. I think I weighed 102 or 103. And the kid he wrestled weighed 118. Wow. So he was kind of small for the weight, but he pulled it off. And then uh, we just went through and he just, uh, he loved freestyle Greco and we wrestled hard in all of the regionals and did all of those kind of things that we could. And uh, he ended up being an eight-time junior All-American. Uh, I guess it'd be a Fargo All-American is what you call it. All those tournaments weren't there. But back in those days, you could uh, cadets could go to both tournaments because they were separate. One of them was two weeks earlier than the other. And so he was an eight-time junior All-American. I don't think there's only but four or five of those in the history of USA Wrestling. And I think he was a three-time cadet All-American. And who was he going to battle with on the national level back then? Who were some of his top competitors? Uh, well, he lost a he lost to Mark Angle in the finals, uh, his senior year in freestyle. Uh, he beat Matt Goldstein. I don't know if you would know that name. He is a uh, mm -hmm. an Illinois kid, great kid. Uh, he had won the the. Greco the year before and Cody beat him in the finals. Cody was in the finals four times, three times at Greco and once in freestyle. Uh, 
Teague Moore, you know, all those guys, uh, I, I don't think, I'm trying to think of some of them. Joe Warren was in his weight class all the way through. And Were Abbas is around or is that a different? Uh, yeah, he wrestled, he wrestled Steve Abbas a couple times. Uh, he, he actually beat Stephen Abbas. Uh, was it, it may have been his senior year. Uh, he, it was a tight match. I think he beat him in overtime. Wow. But he had wrestled Abbott's before and Abbott's beat him. And I think Abbott's beat Kale too. him, Kale and uh, Cody went to the regionals in Las Vegas at the same weight class. And uh, they both wrestled Stephen Abbott's and he got Holy a smokes. They, they went to the same weight class. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know they were that similar in size. Oh, Kale was always big for his age and, and Cody was always small. And so, we actually, I think, uh, double champion more tournaments in USA history than anyone else. Uh, in fact, uh, Kale and Cole were uh, what the cadet. They were both on the cadet world team. They they uh, double championed the the competition, the trials, and one of them went in freestyle, one went in Greco, and then we did a bunch of regional stuff you know, like the one in Las Vegas, uh, they, they, Cole, actually they were all co-champions with their brother a couple of times. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. It was always nice. People tried to get us to have them wrestle off for it, but USA wrestling was good enough to not ever stick us in that situation because <laughs> it, <laughs> it would have probably been ugly. Yeah, I can imagine. I just want to go back to something you said about Cody's development. You said that when he was in middle school and he was on the rise, you were like, you know, just stay patient. You know, we'll move you along when it's time. What was like the daily, uh, the daily workouts back then? Was it, you know, technique at night and workouts in the morning or like how many times a week were you guys going during those years? Well, when they were in junior high, uh, we worked out every day after high school or after school, you know, I, after the high school practice would just go do their workout. Uh, I didn't try to get too crazy. You know, we just, uh, in the summer, they, they usually went two or three times a week for a couple hours. Uh, I was, you know, I, <laughs> I know some people are crazy. It's, it's even worse. Now people go five nights a week or six nights a week and twice a day. And, uh, I always try to remember, mind my kids that this is just a game you know we're just playing a game so you know yeah. don't get too crazy about it it's just a game it's so important. actually I, i've heard them say that themselves a few times you know oh yeah this is just a game and then you know you start hearing about all of the what dodgeball games and that kind of stuff and i guess maybe it really is a game <laughs> well even kale played was it true he played multiple sports growing yeah. up and through high school yeah Coming through, they they played baseball and soccer and football. Uh, I can't think that there was anything else besides wrestling. So yeah, I always felt like if I kept busy, I could keep them out of trouble. Well, so. obviously, you you did a good job there, and and then some. And uh, you know, going back to Cody, so he's kind of coming through high school, having this incredible career. When does the great Bobby Douglas first step in the living room? Uh, actually Bobby Douglas, you know, he's a great guy. Uh, we love that guy. He just, he took such good care of him, but, uh, we had gone, 
what we were doing was uh, when we were getting ready to go back to the kids regionals, they didn't used to be national kids regionals, you know, so that everybody could show up as we were in the Western kids regional. And by that time of the year, just before that, we'd start taking them to a camp somewhere else. So dad didn't have to yell at him anymore. You know, somebody else could yell at him for a week. And we actually went down to a, a week and a half camp at uh, ASU. And he watched them for that week. And then I think he kind of followed them. And uh, when it was legal to make contact, Coach Douglas contacted him. Uh, I remember when I was wrestling, uh, Coach Douglas was a rookie coach uh, at Arizona State. So I had known him for a while. And I even got a chance to watch him wrestle in uh, Calgary, not Calgary, it would have been Edmonton in uh Gosh, I'm thinking it must have been 69 or 70 in the world championships. 70. And so, yeah. We watched him up there. Uh, my brother and my dad and mother went up and watched that. So, wow. And so, so he, I'd known him for a while. So you'd known him. He'd, he'd made an impression on you. And so he makes the call. And I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of coaches calling Cody at that time, given his uh, high school success. What was uh, like the turning point in the recruitment for you? And I know it was Cody's decision, but for you, I'm sure you had to be, you know, following along. Well, I, I followed along uh, because I, you know, always felt like those are the most important things in the world to me or my children. And so uh, you try to stay out of it as much as you can. But, you know, you, the kids come back and talk about the things they did on the recruiting trips. And, you know, my kids didn't party. And, you know, they came back from a few places. And that's the stuff that they had been, you know, expected to participate in. And uh, Coach Douglas didn't do that. Uh, so, you know, that kind of upped our respect for him. But uh, when it got down to the end, you know, he he went through it. He was trying to decide whether he uh could find the right mix of academics and and wrestling and he just he was going to go to north carolina in fact i think he had decided on north carolina and then all of a sudden decided you know uh maybe that's not going to work the way i want and so at the last minute you know he called coach douglas in fact i think he called a uh the other coach and told him that he was going to go or he was well, let's see how did it work. Maybe he just uh, he decided he was going there, and then he turned around and, and he called Coach Douglas and told him he wasn't coming. Oof. And then uh, after he thought about it, I guess he uh, called Coach Douglas back and asked him if he could still come. You know, it was like within a couple of hours, and and uh, oh yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he ended up going to Coach Douglas, and uh, Coach Douglas took really good care of him. Man, that's probably the best uh, best call Coach Douglas has maybe gotten his life. Looking back on it, that's pretty crazy to think that. I'm trying to think well, who was at UNC at that time. Uh, was it Bill Lamb? Who Must have been. been. Yes, it was. Bill yeah, Lamb. and then uh, yeah, that's uh, that's crazy because obviously you know after that 
Cole also went to Iowa State. And I want to talk about some of the coaching you guys are doing later on in this conversation. But then, of course, you know, Kale's uh, Kale's kind of coming up as well. And so his sophomore or his freshman year is the year you guys won your second consecutive team state title. Is that right? We won it when Cody was a uh, junior, let's see, a sophomore, sophomore. That was the first year we won it with Cody was a sophomore. And then we ended up winning five in a row. Right. Before I, I, and then I retired at that point. So I could go chase the kids back in Iowa. Definitely. And I, I know you took a lot of trips out there as Kale was coming up. Was it, um, was it something where you just assumed he would go to Iowa state or was he close to going to Oklahoma state? Actually, he really liked John Smith and you know, John, John was good enough. He called and he said, you know, what are going to be my best chances to get him? And I said, well, the one thing, when you take him on your recruiting trip, don't, uh, don't take him to the bars and, and the strip joints or whatever else you do with other kids. And, and uh, John said, okay. And then when he went to Oklahoma state, John sent him out uh, coon hunting with his brother, Mark. And so he had a great time. And I, and I remember him saying one time, you know, I probably uh, would go to Oklahoma state, but I couldn't be there and, and look across the mat, and see my brothers on the other team. And so he, that was the deciding factor is that his brothers were already at Iowa state. Well, two things I thought were pretty interesting was that when Kale was in school as a kid, I found this in an article, his goals were, this is first grade goals, be a good person, get good grades, be an Olympic champion. But the fact that his first goal is to be a good person. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they're nice kids. You know, you you spend a, <laughs> a lot of time trying to drill that in with your kids and said, you know, it's, you need to be a good person. You need to uh, care about other people and you need to take care of other people. And, you know, a lot of those other things will just kind of fit in. You know, obviously the, uh, you know, the success Kale had and, and, and even Cody and, and Cole, you know, for that matter. And then Kyler came through, but I wanted to ask you this one. Where were you or what were your thoughts the day you heard that, uh, that the family was moving to Penn state and that Kale had taken the job in uh, Pennsylvania? Well, you know, I've always been really close with my boys. Uh, maybe not so much, uh, physically, but uh, Kale called me the night before and they were, he was planning on staying at Iowa state. And, uh, you know, the thing I remember the most about it, he said, you know, we've got these guys and these guys and these guys uh, coming in and, and uh, it's like, sorry, Kale, you know, you can tell me that, but you know, I've bumped around a few times as a coach and uh, kids are the same everywhere. You'll fall in love with the kids there just as fast as you have with the kids from that you have coming into Iowa State. So, you know, that really can't be a deciding factor. You need to look down the road and see, see how it's going to affect your program. You know, you're going to Pennsylvania. Is there a better recruiting place? Uh, it just it gives you a, a lot more opportunities. You're in the center of wrestling back there. And because uh, you got Illinois and Ohio and New York and Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, they're all right there. And so 
you know, hopefully with the right kind of program, you can get the kids that you want and, and they will, uh, they're at least offering to take care of the things that, that you're struggling with now. You know, you've got to have resources if you're going to build a program. And those resources weren't available to him at Iowa State. And uh, so, you know, I, I figured he, he was going to stay. And I woke up the next morning and it was on the news. You know, he was he was headed for Penn State. So I don't know if that had anything to do with the conversation, but I know that that he, he had a hard time leaving because he loved Iowa State and uh, the kids that he had there. But I think it was just a better opportunity, more uh, mostly uh, because of the resources available to to build the kind of a program. You know, he watched. Uh, I think he watched what we did here in high school. We took a little tiny school and, and built a nice program out of it. In fact, that program still is uh, booming today. Uh, they're still doing very well, and a lot of the programs that that I started are still running. And so, you know, those, you got to have resources to do that. And I think maybe that that was kind of the deciding factor. Yeah. And if you look at, as you said, the recruiting and then, you know, resources, I'm sure there's a lot that goes into that. But number one thing I think about when I think of the state of Iowa is like the Iowa Hawks and like, you know, battling with the Cyclones, that's going to be a, a, you know, a lifelong battle, um, but a tough battle. And at Penn State, you're the top dog in that state. No questions asked. Yeah, that's true. Because I know that he struggled over losing a few uh, recruits that he thought he had, and it ended up that they went the other way. And so, you know, I guess that would have to be pretty frustrating. Yeah. Well, I know one of the guys from my era, Nick Fanthorpe, he was he was an Iowa State Cyclone, and he was just unbelievable as a kid growing up and so when he went there I was like man that is that's a big that's a big deal because that was that was part of that class he had at Iowa State yeah yeah in fact uh Nick went out and worked for him at Penn State for a few years and his his wife was actually their office person so yeah I I, I know Nick really well he's a great kid yeah, awesome. And he was just so good growing up. And uh, when you th- when you look at Penn State and all the success they've had, one of the themes that comes out is this term gratitude or the concept of having gratitude. Was that something that was really important to you or that the boys have learned later in life? You know, I don't remember ever pushing that like I hear them push it, but I know that, that uh, it's genuine. It comes from somewhere there. It's probably their mother coming out in them. You know, I just thankful for the opportunities to be able to do the things you're doing because not everybody gets that chance. And you just need to be thankful for it and, and let people know that you appreciate what they're willing to invest back in you. Because you don't do this on your own. If you don't have a good support group, you don't you don't do so well. So, and, you know, most of the time it's family and friends and coaches and everybody adds something to who you are. Yeah. That's one of the things Kale said he looks for most in a recruit is what kind of family background they have. And, uh, just, I'd never really heard of a coach say that before. Maybe a lot of them, maybe a lot of them already know that, but that was interesting, uh, takeaway for me. 
I think that you really don't truly get to know somebody until you get to know their family and their parents. Because, you know, being in the position I've been in for so many years, uh, there's so many crazy parents and you never, <laughs> you, you don't see that all the time. And, you know, kids have under underlying uh, things that come from their family life that, that you never see until, until they're part of your family. And so you just have to be careful, I think. Yeah. Wrestling has a way of bringing us the crazy parents, doesn't it? Well, you know, I've, I've uh, been to a few other sports. It's a uh, youth sport games and uh, everybody's got their, their group of crazy parents. I'm uh, I'm recently engaged and yeah, you know, I'm on the verge of having kids in the next couple of years here. And I just look at it now and I, I just can't, can't imagine why parents would do that because they know it's not the right way, but you know, it, you, st- you see it everywhere. Well, it just, it becomes emotional, you know, and you're so close and you want the very best for your kids, but you have to learn to control that or it makes them crazy too. You know, if, well, I usually meet with the parents that I work with and it's like, you know, you need to be careful about the things you say and even the, the way you say it. Because a kid is going to look at the corner. He's going to look for uh, approval or disapproval. And he he knows you well enough that he can tell by the expression on your face whether you uh, like what he did or, or don't like what he did. And during the match, if you're yelling and you become a little bit uh, hysterical, they pick up on that as soon as your mouth opens. They know they know that you're uh, in distress and that's mm-hmm. automatic distress for them. So I don't think any parents go in thinking they're crazy. They just develop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like this, this quote that's on the Sanderson wrestling Academy website. I think it was from, was your father a uh, jig Sanderson? Yeah. Norman His Norman name was jigs. Yeah. The quote says, uh, if you have fun and work hard, winning will take care of itself. That seems like just something that, you just believe true and true. And that was kind of your ethos in coaching. Yeah. That's what I tried to tell them all the way through. I just, you know, if if I'm having fun, then I'm willing to go out and try things. Uh, It it opens me up differently. If I'm just concerned about winning and losing, then I'm not going to take any chances. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out and do anything except try to throw the kid down and pin him. But if I'm having fun and if the process is fun and the techniques are fun, then I'm going to go out and see if I can play a little bit. That's kind of the game. It's a game. And were there any uh, technical influences that you really took to heart when teaching the kids? You know, I think mostly you, uh, you uh, look at the stuff that you're doing and you try to well, you develop a philosophy. I keep telling my kids that too. I, I need to know what I want them to look like when they walk out of my room. You know, when, when it's all said and done, this kid's identifiable because this is what he does. And that, that ties back to what he did as a wrestler in the program, if that makes any sense. And so as I looked for technique, uh, I looked for the things that fit in with the system that we were using, you know, and I, I remember uh, 
I was actually in my fifth or sixth year of coaching. And I realized that uh, I wasn't doing my kids any favors by going out and showing them, you know, 20 hours of technique every time we went to practice. I needed to develop the, th the things that worked. And that was hard for me as a coach to dump all this stuff aside. You know, I said this, we're, we're practicing this for 15 minutes and this for 15 minutes, but we're not getting any of them in the matches. Mm. And so there's no reason to do that anymore. Let's just dump that and we'll work on something kids are willing to do. And so we just developed our uh, technique mostly that way, just dumping the bad stuff and practicing the good stuff. And I think that's why my kids are pretty basic. And so focusing in on just the core competencies. Yes. Yes. And so if you're, a, if you're running a youth program now, and I know you, you returned to coaching um, at, at Altamont, um, but so if, if you're coaching now, what are some of the, the core competencies? Well, at, uh, I think that we spent most of our time working on position. And uh, controlling, I need to be able to sprawl and get my hips in a position to move. I need to keep my head in, in position. I need to be able to hand fight, you know, just all of those kind of things. So if, if it's a positional game, then I need to be able to hold my position and force you into bad position. And then my technique should work. And so... I think more than anything else, those were the things that we did uh, attack. And, you know, if the guy attacked our hips, we needed to have an offense because you knew they were going to attack your hips. So that's kind of the direction. So the kids were great at sprawling and, and uh, working, you know, crotch throws and, and uh, front dumps and uh, front headlock that all of that stuff came out of a sprawl mm -hmm. and being good in that position. And so, and, and everything you've said so far is that the freestyle scene was huge in Utah back in that era. So was it true that like you guys would work, um, you know, maybe more parterre than top and bottom in the early years? Uh, you know, I, we work on quite a bit of that stuff. I don't think we work more on that. I, it was nice, you know, when I first, uh, got into coaching, I had never even seen a Greco-Roman match ever. And after I had been coaching six or seven years, I took a group of kids back to the junior nationals that was in Iowa city at the time. And I noticed that uh, the kids that were good, were good at Greco and freestyle. I mean, the, the great freestylers all had a Greco background. And so we came back and I started reading books and going to clinics and, and we learned how to wrestle Greco. So we spent quite a bit of time in the off season with Greco techniques just because wow. they were fun and they were different. And uh, it was just a different world. And it was, it was fun. It was easy to keep the kids excited about learning because we were doing something new. And it was something that we never had a chance to get to during a high school season. And that's why it was a perfect fit, you know, and then, for some reason, the world went crazy and they changed all the Greco rules. And, <laughs> and uh, it, it got to a point where I didn't even have my kids wrestle Greco anymore because the only thing you had to do is be able to uh, defend a reverse waist lock because if nobody scored anything, they'd put you down on the mat and let the guy lock up on you. Right. And, you know, a reverse waist lock's not a position that you have to do 
that you're not going to get in in freestyle or in collegiate style. So maybe we're wasting our time. But you know, it's made the swing back now, and and uh, wrestling technique or Greco technique is back, and it's fun. And I, I spend most of the time with the kids that I work with in Aldemont in the off season. We did Greco more than anything else, just because it's fun. Yeah. And I, that was one of my questions coming into this. You were, you were out of coaching, you retired, then you come back to coaching. What was the genesis to, to get you back in the coaching chair? Oh, my wife, mostly. You know, I had retired and I was looking forward to retirement. She had a couple of cousins that lived in Aldemont. And it's just a 1A tiny school. And those the coaches just started working on me. So I went out and went to work for a few more years, but I, I just retired. So or this past spring. So now I'm going down and helping Kyler and I've got another son that, that uh, coaches just up the road. I've been helping him a little bit too. So I guess, you know, I, I, I keep thinking I'm going to get out of it, but I don't seem to be able to get out of it. <laughs> We're keeping you around. Well, Mr. Sanderson, it's been a real honor to chat with you and, I appreciate you putting up with me kind of picking your brain here. It's just, you know, a real treat to be able to chat with you. I had two questions from the audience. I was going to hit you with, and then we'll let you go. Okay, sir. Okay. What is a piece of wrestling advice that you hear constantly given out that you think is horrible advice? I think it's funny uh, to sit in the corner. You know, I tried to get to the point when my kids come to the corner uh, especially in freestyle Greco, it's like, okay, this is what you're going to see. The guy's coming at you with this and this and this. I didn't ever tell him what not to do. And, you know, so many coaches stand in the corner, don't do this, don't do that. And that was always not productive because the kid, I think if he hears it, he does it anyway. So I tell you not to do it and you do it. So I just, I tried to eliminate don't, you know, just, this is what you're going to see. This is what he's thrown at you you need to do this and this and this and not worry about so much what he's doing as what you need to do. I don't know if that's the kind of answer you're looking yeah. for. No, I was just curious on what you, what you were thinking. And I think you nailed it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like focusing on focusing on winning and losing. You know, if I, if I talk about winning and losing, then I kind of lose focus of what I'm trying to accomplish in the match. You know, I, used to talk to the kids when we were going out, you know, this is a performance. We're going out to perform. Uh, let's go give them our best stuff. Let's see what we can do. Let's have some fun with it. Let's go perform. These people uh, don't know how hard you've worked to uh, develop your ability to do these things. So let's go perform. That's a fun way to look at it. Cause then you're just, you're throwing stuff. You're trying stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And l last one for you. Usually we ask folks on this show, how did wrestling change their life? Hence the name of the podcast. You're a lifelong coach though. And I wanted to ask you, you know, how has coaching changed and molded your life? You know, just, I've, I've had a, I've had a wonderful life. You know, I, I had a chance to work with four great kids. They all had a chance to go to school and get an education. You know, they were all four on the ASICs. They were ASICs poster boys. Uh, you know, multiple time state champions, uh, an Olympic champion, you know, you, you go to the NCAA tournament and uh, 
a couple of them were in the finals together a couple times, you know, just, uh, I just, I've had a great time and it's been fun and I don't know how I could trade uh, too many of those experiences for anything else. And I know I've been luckier than most. In fact, you know what David Taylor's dad called uh, right after David won the Olympics. And he said, you know, uh, that's your second, you know, you've, that's your second Olympic champion. I don't know how many other people have had that, but he, he uh, grew up in our program before they moved out to Ohio. And so no notes guys a long time, but you know, it's just, I've had so many great experiences and worked with so many great people that uh, I guess I've had a blessed life. Definitely. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't go back to what you just said, David Taylor. I thought he grew up in Wyoming. He was coming out to your, your club back in the Actually, early days. We live uh, really close to the corner of Wyoming. Oh, okay. And so I think it was an easy drive. He came down a couple of times and we guys still remember his dad hanging him on the pull-up bar that was in the back corner of the room. And he was hanging up there so high that it looked like he broke both his legs. If he fell off the bar, you know, you see, he was that little, but uh, yeah, known David for a long time. Great kid. Unbelievable. He's, he's the man, huge, huge fan of David Taylor and just the way he wrestles. Um, well, Steve Sanderson, you've been so generous with your time, and I, I just can't thank you enough for coming on the show, sir. Have a great well, day. Well, I hope I didn't burn you too bad. <laughs> no, not at all. I feel uh, I feel like I was a little bit nervous, and I uh, oh. I, I wasn't at my best. So uh, you were you were amazing though, and you did a great job. All right, thank you. Thank you, sir. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the money ball approach to the sport of collegiate wrestling. They track and time every activity throughout a wrestling match and upload over 550 match stats to the Quant app to do things like predict match outcomes. I love this feature. You can use it in the Quant app, available now in the Google and Apple Play stores. That's Q-U-A-N-T. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free. Now let's get to the episode. 